and welcome to the Singing for Health Network podcast. My name is Ruth Routledge and I'm a Singing for Health practitioner based in South London and I also work as a singer, a choir leader, composer, arranger and I'm really, really delighted to have two guests joining us today. We have Nicola Weidenbach who is the Director of Training for Sing to Beat Parkinson's as well as being a General Singing for Health practitioner. She's based in Beckenham. And we also have Rachel Hines, who is a Singing for Health practitioner and an opera singer based on the west coast of Scotland. Hello and welcome to both of you. Hello. Hi. Hi, Hi Nicola. Um, So would you just tell us very briefly a little bit about you and your work? Nicola, do you want to kick us off? Uh, so I'm a trained singer. I work, uh, I still do a bit of singing, um, freelance for a long time. Uh, and while I was freelancing, I worked uh, in opera education departments. And then I got involved with a company called, uh, well, a charity called Streetwise Opera, who work with the homeless. And it became quite quickly apparent that uh, being homeless, uh, not having a house wasn't necessarily the reason people were homeless. Um, uh, so I kind of, with that, by default, started working with people with mental health issues and I did that for quite a long time. And so my kind of experience of arts and health started, I think, with that work, with that inspirational charity. And then my father-in-law was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia, which is quite a severe form of Parkinson's, kind of almost Parkinson's and dementia at the same time. And I heard him doing speech therapy one day sounded very similar to some of the warm-ups and things that I do as a singer. And so I did some research, found out that singing in Parkinson's was a known kind of intervention. Uh, I won a scholarship from the Finzi Foundation and I was really lucky enough to go to America to study um, a sort of amazing group called the Tremble Clefts, set up by a speech language therapist in America. Um, and they also had a dance company called Tremble Toes, so they're fantastic. And I think when I went, they were about 20 years old, so they must be about 25, uh, if not 27 years old as a company. So that shows you how long that Parkinson's and singing has been um, kind of involved. And then chance meeting in a pub, because these things are always chance meeting. I met uh, Grenfell Hancocks, uh, who was already working with Singing of Parkinson's in Canterbury. And he'd set up a charity called Canterbury Cantata Trust. And then out of that came Sing to Beat Parkinson's. And he asked me to be director of training, because I've always been passionate about uh, not just me doing it, not just a couple of people, getting more and more people involved with it so that more people with Parkinson's can benefit from the work. So, yeah, that's how I got involved with it. Mm, fantastic wow wow and um Rachel tell us about your your journey into into this work so my journey into singing for health really started from um dementia I I was working as an opera singer um I I did a lot of my early work at Scottish Opera as a chorister and then a company principal and as I was coming out of uh, my contract into freelance work I did some work uh, with Scottish Opera and Dementia, I was on the inaugural uh, called the Memory Spinners with Alzheimer's Scotland. And um, at the same time, I did an opera with the opera group um, about a man with dementia that was co-written with medics from the King's College uh, Hospital. And after uh, working on that project, I wanted to explore singing and dementia. And I did a course with Enterprise Music Scotland about singing and dementia, where I met someone who worked for a 
mental health charity called Commonweal, which is based at Gart Naval Hospital in the north of Glasgow. And uh, she offered me a job, um, which was lovely. Um, an hour a week working with a guitarist on an assessment ward in the mental health hub in the um, assessment dementia ward. And um, I loved that work and that's gradually grown into working in three different hospital wards and several care homes around um, Glasgow. But before that, it, um, exploring that work with Commonweal, I came to a point in my career where I thought I need to explore more of this singing for health work. It, it really um, fired something in my belly. And at, as I started to talk to people about this, I discovered that uh, the British Lung Foundation were running training courses in singing for lung health, which I went on with Feeney Cave. I did the course in London, swapped back to Glasgow, and um, they had a group in North Glasgow that they wanted me to run and that was funded for a while. As that work was growing, um, I, I also was asked to run a lung health group down in Ayrshire. I was living in Glasgow at the time and several groups grew from that. And I saw through social media of Nicola's work with Sing to Beat um, at Snake Maltins. And I considered doing the course one January, talked myself out of it. And then about a month later was approached to run a singing for Parkinson's group <laughs> in Ayrshire. And I thought, oh, I should have done it. So I actually started running my group before I did the training, which mm. was interesting because I had to sort of learn on my feet and do things a bit backwards. But um, I think it was very interesting comparing running a Parkinson's group to my lung health group, the differences and the similarities. And then when I did the training with Nicola, learning a bit more about the details of how the groups differed. And so you met, how exactly did you meet? Was it on the training you did Nicola's training? Yes. yes, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think Nicola gave me a, a lift from the accommodation one morning. Nicola, you were the trainer. Rachel, mm -hmm. you were the trainee. And so, I mean, Nicola, do you still deliver sessions or do you mainly work on the training? I do. I do still deliver sessions. Uh, I think for me to, to, to train people, it's still being in the room. For me to give advice to people, I'm constantly learning all the time myself. Yes. Um, and I'm constantly thinking of new things and, and, and just different groups have different dynamics and being able to explain that to people rather than saying my group does this. I've kind of got three groups that I run regularly at the moment. Um, and then I've just helped establish a group at Trinity Laban and two students have taken over, um, which is fantastic. And I go in every about once a month just to kind of, sounds like I check up on them, um, just to kind of, uh, just see them and do some delivery. Support. And, yeah, rather than checking up. And I've got one in Bromley um, and I've got one uh, at King's College Hospital, which we've obviously not been allowed to uh, be in the hospital because King's mm. has been a major COVID centre. Um, but So we've been delivering online now for over two years, but uh, we are allowed to go back in from September. But we did meet on Tuesday for the first time in a, in a local hall, um, which was amazing because you've been working with these people for two mm. regularly and then suddenly they've got legs again. So it's, it was quite yes, well. Yes. Um, and I also do one in Pimlico in London, central London as well. And um, so how exactly does singing help Parkinson's? Rachel, do you want to leap in there? I think it, it helps all sorts of things. The breathing, speech 
So we can take everything back to singing, everything back to the breath, everything back to the way we enunciate things with singing and take that back into speech. I think it helps singing together as a group. We, we all know that this is so good for your mental and physical health. For people with Parkinson's, actually being in the same room with other people with Parkinson's and maybe with their carers or their spouses, you know, we make it a bit of a social um, activity as well. I found it very useful when moving on to Zoom. We got into the habit of every other week doing a one-to-one because I just found it really difficult online to pinpoint individual issues without bringing attention to it so mm. trying to do it in a safe space so every other week I would run 15 to 20 minute uh, one-to-one sessions that people could book in for and we did a lot of um, speaking work with that tongue twisters and things like that because I think ultimately as well as having fun in that se- session you want to give people a toolkit that they can take away with them mm. to try and manage their symptoms in everyday life and people get very nervous about how their speech has maybe got softer they struggle with certain pronouncing certain words so singing is really great for that you know connecting to the breath and helping to projection projecting the voice so the volume of the voice really goes goes do you agree nicola um so not everyone who has parkinson's has necessarily has a speech issue Mm. um and certain um, types of speech therapy. There's a there's a, a gold standard of speech for th- speech therapy for Parkinson's called Lee, Lee Silverman Voice Technique or LSVT, mm-hmm. which is an American kind of based program. And some practitioners, uh, SLT um, speech language practitioners, uh, in this country are trained in that. But it's a very short, intensive kind of intervention, so not more than about six weeks. And then even speech language therapy that people are offered, again, is normally over a short amount of time. So the benefits of singing for people with Parkinson's is that they're able to go to something regularly once a week in a group and continue the benefits that they would have got from the speech language therapists, which is why I always say if you find your local speech language therapist who works with people with Parkinson's, they all want to refer into the singing. They see the benefits. You're not you're not taking away from all the benefits that they're doing. You're just continuing that work because the, um, people don't practice on their own. Whereas if you put people in a group, they will practice. And the benefits that we have from singing or the kind of the things that we do with singing is to be more artistic with those exercises to make them more fun. So, you know, for example, as I think Rachel just mentioned, a tongue twister. So we're, uh, when people with Parkinson's, as their condition um, gets worse, if they are someone who is affected in the voice, obviously the muscles around the larynx and the muscles around the tongue, everything's getting weaker. And it's the case of uh, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it really. Um, doesn't mean anything we're going to do is, is going to stop the progression of the disease, but we can try and hang on to the things that we can hang on to. Hang on to. So, for example, people with Parkinson's will often speak in a monotone. Their range will be quite short, um, it's quite small. Mm. Um, they'll be quieter. Their articulation won't be so strong. Their breath will be more laboured. And so just through singing, the, the things that we do to warm up, the things that we do to um, enunciate, the things that we do to project, all kind of correlate and actually a lot of the exercises that have been designed for sing to beat and 
which practitioners are actually using even if they've not been on the seem to be um, course I think people do quite instinctively um, help help those things maintain so for example uh, we do a lot with octaves um, and kind of sirening up through octaves which you would do as a normal singer but again for people with Parkinson's you're just maintaining being bigger than a a bigger range you know I think I think on a the whole they they've done some research it's about a fifth so you'll if you get them to do an octave you're almost doubling that all the time you know so that's the thing to do and so it's all about maintaining and um you know keeping the larynx as strong but on a social level the I think people with Parkinson's have historically often been put in the corner it's just told to sit there with a blanket don't do anything you know don't talk mm. Of course, if you can't express yourself, you lose quite a huge part of your personality. Yeah. So, you know, the ability for people with Parkinson's to be in a room, as Rachel said, together, being able to express themselves, to have fun, to communicate is is really important. So they've still got that ability. They've still got to be able, be able to talk to their families. They're not just being ignored. Mm. And then also carers being in the room with them as well. Yes, has yes, another- I wondered about that. Yeah, A, it's just really great to have more people in the room and supportive. But I've found as well, I'm sure Rachel will say that for um, the people who are carers long term on two levels, when you teach everyone a song, it becomes a leveller because uh, no one knows it. So this kind of imbalance often in people's relationships where someone's looking after someone suddenly is leveled out. But also, they um, because of the way uh, the treatment for Parkinson's disease is often with uh, drug therapies and they're all balancing their drugs. I mean, they're all master chemists. I mean, honestly, they're <laughs> But they'll they'll all be talking about it and they'll say, well, I've tried this and I've tried that. <laughs> and so for the carers in particular, they've got this ability to kind of talk to people who really understand, you know, because mm. and, and uh, kind of, you know, no one feels any kind of sense of shame or anything if someone dribbles or, mm. or you know, a drug alarm goes off because they have to take these drugs at regular times. And <laughs> suddenly a phone goes and there's a beep on an alarm and someone needs to do something. So it's all that sense of normalising something that some people might be embarrassed about, whereas mm. it's completely normal in our sessions, you know, it's because it is. And it's always got to the stage where some someone said to me the other day, said, I would never have done this if I didn't have Parkinson's. And he said to me, Parkinson's has opened up a whole new world to me, which I thought was an incredible way of having a long-term neurological condition mm. a way of thinking about it so mm. that wow that's a, what, a, what an amazing full, full 60 really or full yeah. three yes i couldn't imagine thinking wow parkinson's has enabled me to do things you yes. know yeah what an amazing testimony actually to the to the power of what you're doing rachel sorry you were uh, and the other thing about singing and with parkinson's being you know such a a, a drug related um, condition is that you know when you learn new skills you learn new songs then you feel that sense of achievement and dopamine which is the uh, hormone which they lack that's the sort of reward hormone that the body then produces and Mm. and people I know you you found this yourself um, Nicola that people that come regularly to the sessions they find they can spread their medication out a bit more and which suits their lifestyles better so that's a real real positive I found with yeah. some mm. of them and I think research is ongoing I mean I'm sure we're going to talk about research in a minute mm. 
Um, but the benefits of, uh, you know, singing and research, you know, they're still pinpointing exactly why it helps. And if you talk to anyone in the groups, they will tell you it helps, but they've not been able to quite figure out exactly why it helps yet. They're still researching that and it's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same with, you know, with movement and, and uh, music and Parkinson's. You know, mm-hmm. some research projects where you'll suddenly see someone dancing who couldn't walk into your session. Mm-hmm. And we I always do some movement and I'm sure Rachel does as well within the sessions too, just for that same benefit. You know, they're, you know, they're suddenly, um, I often do like marching at the end of a session and, you know, people who are on, on walkers suddenly will be able to march in time. And it's quite extraordinary, that power of the music. And, and again, they're still really, they haven't quite, I mean, it's the power of the brain and they haven't quite pinpointed why exactly it happened. Wow. That sounds absolutely incredible. I think actually that's actually the real challenge, I think, with singing for health research, because singing is such a kind of multifaceted activity, neurologically, physically, hormonally, socially, you know, for research purposes, you're always trying to isolate different things. And actually, it's really hard to do that with singing. You, you can't do a blind trial, you know, you really yeah. can't, which is quite interesting. I, I wonder if with research, we're coming at it perhaps not from quite the right, the right angle to actually capture all of these benefits. And what you were just touching on there, the power of the music, I think is this idea of the music itself somehow having a a health benefit to people with really quite serious health conditions i don't know if you have any thoughts about that yeah i mean i think there were two things with 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 that with the research i think it's very hard to do like a randomized control trial and make people sing who don't want to sing so i think you've always got a slight bias with all the research we do that the people who are going to be in the trials normally are there because they want to sing anyway you know it's, it's very i mean i do have people who come in but there's you know, there were some people who I've definitely had people say, oh, my dad's got Parkinson's, he won't go to a singing group and he can't necessarily make people go. You know, there has to be a reason that they walk through the door. Um, so I think there's always a sense with some of it that it's not a completely robust process with the research. And that's not criticising the research at all. Mm-hmm. It's always a tricky one to do a really kind of clinical trial on it. Mm-hmm. And also the nature of the kind of whittling down a research question is you have have to focus in on something and I think that's the other thing is that that, that there's still things that need to be researched that we haven't got there yet you know and you're always building on the research that's been before Mm. so I think it it will take its time to really get to the the nitty-gritty on it I think Mm. Um, but I do think it needs to be more scientific as well now and we know it's good for us but why is it good for us I'm, I'm quite struck by this fact of people coming in on a walker they do a singing session and then they can dance. Do you think that perhaps the fact of singing stimulates their brain to the extent whereby they are less disabled by their condition? Is it a neurological impact perhaps? Or I think we're still not quite there absolutely knowing why it is because I think uh, I definitely am, um, uh, I happen to be friends with an um, ENT surgeon and one of my clients uh, was also his client. And so, for example, so he scoped him be- six months before singing intervention and then six months later. And, then, and he definitely could see a difference on the vocal folds. So, you know, is that neurological or is that physical, you know, as in... Well, I guess that is physical in the, in the sense of, you know, you can observe 
the vocal folds in terms of someone's ability to move or not move as a result of a singing session. I think the problem is where Parkinson's manifests in the brain is right in the centre, right in the, you know, say for example with my father-in-law with Lou body dementia, you can't absolutely uh, diagnose that until um, they have a post-mortem because it's right in the centre of the brain and so can't prove that it's helping because it's in the bit that they can't get so again that's that's a thing until they invent something that can do that without being invasive i suppose and and we don't know enough about the brain i mean if you Mm. we've got parts of the brain we don't know it's like we're all surmising why it works Mm. there is i think um granville hancock's always talks about a guy called dunbar who Mm. theory that we evolve singing and we Mm. die and and i think that's true you know if you listen with children uh, they all start singing before they start talking mm. so there's a part of our brain that is is already activated you know before and you often will which is why Rachel you know, works with dementia she'll say why why can someone sing when they can't talk at the end of their lives they'll be able to sing all the words to somewhere over the rainbow but they can't have a conversation with you you know it's there's something in there but we again haven't completely pinpointed it yet you know which is where the research uh needs to be ongoing you know not but not about why it's why it works as in mm. you know, so we know it works but yes the exact yes, mechanisms yeah yeah as my as my practice evolves i'm really fascinated now in the connection of breath body and voice mm. so leading on from the singing connect the breath to the body and to the voice and i think particularly in parkinson's that's really really important you know, you, you learn different traits that your clients have through nervousness, how their condition manifests itself. For example, if someone, you know, is really nervous about their speech and they might start speaking quickly and you can teach them, well, think about the breath first before you do that. Let's think in a musical way where we've learned to speak after we've learned to make sounds as Grenville would say we're hardwired to sing but then we forget all of that <laughs> and we just speak naturally you know and and I still think that if you take speech back to the way we sing connect into the breath really feeling it in the body I also think there's something although we instinctively dance and we instinctively sing when we have learned to walk and when we've learned to talk that becomes something that we do without thinking. But then we, but then as as we become adults, if you want to dance, we kind of think about it more. And if we want to, sing, we think about it more. So there's something within that process, and this is just a theory of mine. There's no research behind it. I don't yet. <laughs> when we sing and when we dance, it's more conscious. But when we talk and we walk, it's so unconscious that when we lose it, we don't know how to get it back. And that's similar, actually, because both Rachel and I are working with long COVID people at the moment who've, who are struggling with their breathing. And, and it's really hard to teach someone to breathe because you never got taught to breathe. You know, you just no. did. Um, so trying to get someone to do a healthy breathing pattern is actually a very tricky, you know, it's, a, it's very hard because consciously it's not it's not part of a process as such. Mm. And I think that's very similar in a way when people have a problem with their speech or a problem with their walking, because you don't think I'm going to put my left foot in front of my right foot. You just do it. You just get up. Um, so I think there's a there's something to do with the conscious and the unconscious. But I think the singing and the dancing being more always a more conscious process helps the unconscious. I think that's just a theory of mine. Mm. 
that's very interesting. And then when you practice these things more, because you're practicing the singing, they start to become more routine. That's, that's the way I like to say to people, this, you can take this into everyday life. You know, before you get up to walk somewhere, have a think about it, take a breath. Through yeah. practice, it will become more subconscious, I think. Yeah, that's very interesting. And it's a, it's a fun way to do things. I have a, a wonderful couple in my group that come back and say, oh, we do that exercise in the car, <laughs> you know. And, and it can bring couples together again. And, and, yeah. and so, like Nicola said, when they come into the class, they're on a level playing field. It's not carer and uh mm. anymore you know they're back to being that couple and it's it's lovely when they come in and say oh, we do that exercise in the car but i also think that's where rachel and I, you know our backgrounds of being kind of uh singers both working on stage and you know basically we played for a living really if you think about it we dress mm. um, on stage and and having that playful side of uh you know a it makes the session fun but also you remember fun things yeah. You know, so yeah. people remember a silly rhyme or a silly song more so than a, an exercise. So that element of, and I think we forget to play as adults. You know, I think it's important to play, um, and I don't mean childish in a childish way, but just to have fun. You know, and and I think we're giving our groups permission to have fun together. Um, you know, and they, I get them to do some really daft things, and they love it. You know, and I think <laughs> the dafter the better. <laughs> I think uh, that's really part of it as well. Mm. Um, so just moving on to talk about, you mentioned research. Um, obviously, you've also mentioned speech and language therapists and perhaps other health professionals as well. Do you think there is awareness amongst health professionals of the benefits of singing for Parkinson's? I, do, I mean, I'm lucky that one of my groups is based in a hospital. Mm. And King's College Hospital is, I think there are two and I could be wrong, but there were two centres of excellence uh, for Parkinson's in the country and King's College Hospital is one of them. And so they are aware of what I'm doing and I have been lucky enough to speak at one of their conferences. Oh, um, amazing, yeah. Um, but even that being said, they're so busy in the NHS, mm. even being in the hospital, even having spoken, they know, but trying to get anyone to come down to a session to really engage. And that's not a criticism of the NHS. Uh, there is some awareness, but of course there could always be more, but I think that's going to be an internal struggle. As practitioners, it can be frustrating, but I think it's also just the nature of where we are. You know, some of my Parkinson's guys haven't seen their consultant for two years in person, you know, they're, mm. you know so, so you're, you're, you as a singing practitioner going, I want to meet up. You know, it's you're, you are slightly down the list at the moment. Yeah. Do you think speech and language therapists are aware of the benefits um, of singing for people with Parkinson's? Yeah, I did quite a lot of work with some networks and things pre-pandemic. But again, they a lot of them have been diverted onto COVID. I think as the pandemic settles down, because we're still in it really, yes. I think things will get better. But I think it just happens to be that Parkinson's coincides with some of the professionals who have been diverted off to COVID. Yep. I know certainly in mm. Scotland, um, but there is a shortage certainly on the west coast of Scotland of dedicated Parkinson's nurses. And that was right. the case before COVID. So I think it's far worse now. And, and actually, I'd, I'm not forgotten about Parkinson's nurses, but they're so 
similar in the UK, um, not UK, in England, sorry, uh, they are so short in supply for the same reason. And what is a shame is they really are the linchpin because of the condition, you know, they, they're constantly having to change their drug, drug kind of cocktails. That sounds... Right. Yeah, yeah. Kind of Com combinations. combinations. <laughs> and normally they would kind of talk to the Parkinson's nurse and she would give them advice. But that whole scenario of kind of being able to talk to someone on a on a regular basis for them is missing at the moment. And um, what what about the future for singing and Parkinson's? Rachel, what, what do you think? Do you know, I think across the whole spectrum of singing for health, I think the medical world is slowly realising the benefits of these holistic activities, mm. you know. I think now's the time to connect with these people if we can, <laughs> because mm. they're they're desperate to find groups to so signpost people to mm. to to help um lessen the burden on GPs as well. And Nicola? For me personally, having worked in this uh community for eight years now, I think, I've met some extraordinary people, extraordinarily talented people. And so seeing them the people beyond their condition and what they can actually do and i'm a great believer in arts and health that it's not just about the health benefits that actually it's about the art and when I'm, when we have done the work in that way in a far more seeing the participants as artists rather than people with mm. health when we've done feedback they don't even mention they've had parkinson's or that they're there because they've got parkinson's they mm. just being part of a part of a group, singing, dancing, creating art, and it, and and it becomes something else. Mm. Uh, and so that's something that I want to kind of you know I'm very passionate with arts and health that we do make sure the art part is really mm. really as equal as the health part. And like you were talking about earlier, this idea of um, everyone being equal, disrupting the hierarchy really of um, leader and participant or medic and patient. In fact, everyone in it together. Anyone can get Parkinson's. So yes. some of the people who are extraordinary, you know, they've got the most extraordinary histories, extraordinary futures, hopefully as well, but they have a lot to give. And I think, you know, making sure you really understand them as an individual is really important to you know, what they can bring. Yeah. And finally, would you please um, talk me through, let me be your guinea pig for a practical go-to exercise warm-up that you would do with a singing for Parkinson's group? So I'm going to do one that I would do if I was in a group for the first time, as if I walked into a room, uh, how do you kind of get people's attention? Because bearing in mind that something we didn't mention about uh, the symptom from people with Parkinson's, their facial muscles aren't working so well. So they can mm. be really grumpy and quite miserable. Usually, <laughs> <laughs> when you work with a group, you'll get feedback. People will be kind and smile at you, but that doesn't always work. With, I mean, they do smile. But <laughs> or with their eyes, not necessarily. Yeah. I mean, the first time I did something in about 2014, I, luckily I got them to write feedback afterwards and they said, actually, I really like it. But if I hadn't, I'd have never done it again because I thought they were... <laughs> So I think that's something you should always say with people with Parkinson's. Um, so I always do this really simple hello song. I might, I might have done a few breathing warm-ups just to kind of, and physical warm-ups just to get us going. And it literally goes, say hello, hello, say hello, hello, say hello, hello, say hello, hello. And I just get people to sing the hello. 
And then they normally do it really shyly. So I always say, do it again. And then sing it a bit louder. And then I get them to start actually waving at each other or doing some kind of, uh, you know, maybe a thumbs up or a, a howdy or something like that and getting them to connect. Because there are four of them. So I say, right, pick four people in the room. And again, people with Parkinson's have often got very used to not making eye contact, being more insular. So straight away, the A, a what two things happen uh they uh are connecting but also for the minute you start putting that kind of um, action or enthusiasm the voice actually activates a lot better um i also because i'm in london <coughs> will then uh ask them to do it in different languages because i often have quite a multicultural um group now of course that's happening all over the country as well but london is a real melting pot uh, i did once and i had four arabic languages <laughs> so, wow. so i'll do that too I will also do, um, change the key. So I'm then, we're looking always to make sure we're extending the range. So we'll, I'll, I'll just quietly uh, move the range up too. Um, and then if I've had the group or I'm feeling that they're really brave, I'll change the words to what's your name? And then you'll say Ruth. And the, and the group will sing, what's her name? Ruth. And so uh, then we'll go rounds. So A, that's a really good way of me learning everyone's names. Mm. <laughs> so it's a sneaky way of hearing what they're doing when they sing individually as well. Mm. So even if they sing it or speak it, uh, um, it's really good. And I might then get them to do it again and say, make sure you breathe. Because often people with Parkinson's forget, they're obviously breathing, but they'll forget to breathe as an in the impetus to sing. So we'll do it again and we'll work on just a little bit of volume as well. So we're kind of doing that. So that's a quite a nice exercise. We've got some extensions mm. there for people, but it's uh, very simple. It's friendly, but it's not too childlike as well. I think you can mm. take some child, child things, but always make sure you're doing with adults as well. Mm, lovely. What about you, Rachel? Have you got any, um, any well, lovely, uh, lovely yeah, leading on up from your what, sleeves, up your colourful sleeves? Leading on from what Nicola said about the facial expressions, I do love to make shapes and animal noises. There's a fab fabulous photo that was used for our poster where I'm <laughs> roaring like a lion. I get everything. <laughs> yeah. like an owl. Um, and it's not childlike. I, and we have fun with it. And it, and it has a serious side because you're getting people to really, really engage those muscles. Mm. And then maybe we'll do some tongue exercises and have a bit of a chew so that you're getting the breathing going, but also getting the muscles of the mouth going. <laughs> Well, thank you both so, so much. This has been loads of fun and really, really fascinating. Loads to think about there. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Ruth. Nice to see you, Nicola. Yeah, nice to see you too. <laughs>